Hi, everybody. Oh, I forgot my glasses. Well, that's going to be a problem. How are you doing? Uh, my name is Luke Thomas. It is the 6th of Dis January, 2022. It's episode 100. Can you believe it? Can you believe we have reached 100 episodes since rebranding the podcast from initially what it was before? Hi, everyone. If you're watching now on YouTube, thumbs up on the video. Uh, hit subscribe if you're new here, if you've been freeloading. But we are here. We have things to do today and uh, not a moment to waste. So let's do them. Uh, without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? All right, there we are. Uh, today, it will be brought to you informally by, I think this is the one I had last time, Ultra Paradise. I think this is the one I had on MK yesterday. I think I got like two of these, if memory serves. Let's see. Yeah, it's like a green apple type thing. It's not so terrible. Um, housekeeping notes. The last episode did go on podcast, I think, the next day, but it did get up. I'll try to get this one up tonight if I can, but at least we got the last one up, and I appreciate that. Um, made all the announcements about the next year uh, last week, but if you missed it, of course, we're looking to move out of my house into a new studio space for at least my independent channel. And people have asked, by the way, like, would that mean more breakdown content? Yes. That actually would be the entire design of it, would be to have a place where I could more turnkey style go in, record, and be done, and then have you know the rest of that process um, more streamlined, and then other, pe other people would be helping along the way. So yes, that would be the entire idea. It would not be just to not be distracted, but to actually get more of that particular kind of work done. Um, let's see. Oh. Got a haircut, lucked out super big time because I'm kind of semi, I mean, I guess I'm quarantining because I got exposed. I did test a negative today. I don't have any symptoms, but just to be on the safe side, I didn't want to go and get a haircut anywhere else. So I had someone come to the house who is a family friend and somebody I know who I don't like their haircuts all that much, but this one came out pretty good, actually, I have to say. And uh, they're boosted and had COVID like four months ago. So I called in a bit of a favor, got super lucky. So that's nice. What else? Um, I think that's it. All right. Oh, and as always, uh, if you guys, uh, you know, no obligation to donate, but if you do, uh, we'll get to your question at the end of about an hour or so. So what is it? 4.06. We'll go to about 5.06 today. All right. Let's pull it up, shall we? All right. As you guys know, every Wednesday... Or the day before we do these chats, I always post a picture in the community thread. People fill it up with questions, and then we answer them therein. All right, let's get to them now. I didn't get my glasses, so this is going to be a bit of a challenge. Let's see how this goes. All right. Uh, uh, Luke, congrats on 100 episodes. As a DC native, can you share your thoughts on... On the one-year anniversary of January 6th. I really don't want to start off today's chat with that, boy. Let me tell you. Last year, this last year generally was not that great. And then last year this time was also not great. A um, lot of sirens in the city. I can tell you that. Thank God that shit is not happening this year. I got a lot of questions about this. I don't even know what the big deal is. 
a person asks, I think I have the same question most people do. What he what the heck did you and Brian say or do that caused your video, the last one, to go private only to return with a section removed? I don't even know what they removed. No one's mad at us. It was some kind of production issue. Dude, people like people do get mad at us and we hear from them, but they don't like no one tells us what to say. So I'm I honestly do not know what they removed, but that was like a production meeting about a production issue. Like no one's bitter at me or Brian. I can tell you, I can affirmatively on everything tell you the truth about that. Like no one's no one's bitter at us at all. What they took out, I don't fucking know. Uh, Luke, I've heard you mention that you might try TRT in the future. Have you ever got your hormone levels tested and are blood tests something you do regularly? No, I've not done any of those regularly. In part because most of the literature that you read for someone my age, 42, is that if you do the things you're supposed to do in terms of living with hydration and sleep and exercise and diet, all, all that stuff. If you do all those th things that you're supposed to do, which is, you know, no one's going to be perfect, but if you are generally close to the the goals that are, are um, or the, I should say the thresholds for good living, you can still get good living. You don't really need a lot of chemical help unless you're doing whatever it is you're doing beyond that, right? So um, I, I haven't gotten to the point where I've had any of the stuff checked in any kind of way, but I'm sure by the time that even good habits no longer produce good results, then, you know, I'll have a conversation and get all that stuff looked at. Okay, interesting one. Can you explain in detail why you give Jake Paul a chance versus Nate Diaz? I truly believe Jake loses that fight 10 out of 10 times. Nate is hard to hurt, has a boxing-focused style, sort of, and has trained traditional boxing for many years. Jake is shown to have cardio issues, that's true. And Nate could easily push the pace on him and make him wilt. The Diaz brothers are both training partners of Andre Ward. I believe Nate has already had a pro boxing fight in his career, if not that I'm thinking of Nick. And it's not like they are a Woodley or an Askren making a transition to unfamiliar territory. Would love to hear your thoughts. Okay, so we're not as far apart as you might imagine. The argument that you are making, as I understand it, is that you believe if they fought... 10 times Jake loses all 10 my argument is closer to Jake loses nine or eight of them so we're not that far apart but what you have basically said is there's no chance so what is the discrepancy between because even in the, in the scenario that I am imagining I imagine that Nate should be favored to win pretty considerably so like understand I'm not saying oh Jake beats Nate I'm just saying if they fought 10 times he might squeak in one maybe two okay so we're not that far apart number one to the extent that we have any differences of opinion, there's just a couple things I would really caution you to dial back on. One, let's go through what you say. Uh, Nate is hard to hurt. Well, he's easy to cut, number one. Now, he does have a very good chin, but let's also just be quite clear about it. He gets landed on a lot. Um, he's got a good boxing style when he's offensively dealing. When he's forced to counterfight, it's not nearly as good. Um, also some of the contexts in which it might be pretty good in MMA where it, believe it or not, like in close pressing people up against the fence and then kind of pot shotting them and using that to open up into bigger shots. Obviously you can do that in boxing. People do it in boxing, but it's a little bit harder to pull off relative to it is to that being the case in MMA. So like, there's just a couple of things stylistically that may think he may not be able to work in that space quite the way you might imagine. 
He has a boxing-focused style. Yeah, an MMA boxing-focused style, not a boxing-boxing-focused style. That's a big difference as well, and has trained traditional boxing for many years. That part is certainly quite true. And as you noted, Jake has cardio issues. I think that's true. And Nate has... It's almost impossible for him to have cardio issues, which I think is also true. Again, we're talking about different scenarios where Nate wins these almost the majority of the time. But what I would say is, one, Jake's going to be bigger. Two, I think Jake's going to hit harder. I know that's going to enrage a lot of people, but I do think it's true. I think he can hit harder than Nate. Um, I think that it's entirely feasible that... um, I could see scenarios where the fight gets stopped on cuts. I could see scenarios where Nate gets dropped as well, um, wins majority of the rounds and hurts uh, Jake, but um, gets dropped in two of the rounds because he takes big punches. He does. His offense is quite good. His defense is not nearly as good, um, which people don't really talk about with with Nate Diaz enough with his boxing, but. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, I still think with all of those factors, Nate is going to win the major, overwhelming majority of the time. But to the extent that we have any differences, I would say I think you're underrating a little bit of also the boxing skill of Jake. Again, Jake's skill is not tremendous, but it's a little bit better than his detractors might imagine. You add in the fact that he is bigger, a bigger power puncher. He's got he's got more competitive rounds boxing. I grant against you know. Um. 7-Eleven gas station attendants, but at the same, not always, obviously, Tyrone was a decorated athlete, but you get the idea. Um, certainly not people at their best, but point being is he still has that experience in ways that Nate does not, although Nate obviously has huge fight experience in ways that Jake never will, so there's that too. Again, these are scenarios where Nate likely wins, but I just feel like you got to respect the size, you got to respect the power. I think the overall ability is there. Eight rounds, I think you can find a way to coast at certain moments and explode in other ones. You know, he might be able to make it interesting if they fought 80 or 100 rounds, right? If Max wins the rematch, well, the well the rematch of the last one, the third fight, I guess you would mean, would it merit a fourth, and how unprecedented would that actually be? So from a commercial appetite, a fourth seems untenable right now. But I have to say, I don't think it's that crazy. Now... First of all, in boxing, you'll see guys fight each other four or five times. It's not super common, but it's not so rare that you can't say we haven't seen it in our lifetime. We have seen it. You know, obviously, Pacquiao and Marquez fought uh, more than three times, right? So we're used to MMA to seeing three kind of being the deciding factor, but it isn't always that case. Number one, to sort of like expand the universe of what is possible here. Secondly, what I would say is, let's say Max does win and recaptures the gold. One, there might just be an outcry for people, for Volkanovsky, to get a title shot because he was the reigning champion. This is not an argument that I am very sympathetic to, but it gets trotted out all the time where if the reigning champion has even a couple of defenses of his belt and or she, and they lose, there's enough people usually within the fan base to be like, well, they've been champ for a while and they were so good. Shouldn't they deserve to get another one, especially if the fight is close? And my answer to that is almost always, if the fight is close, we can have a conversation about that. But the tenure as champion, to me, is a very weak argument. So I don't buy or I don't believe that that one will necessarily sway people. But here's the one that might. Here's the one that might. You never know with 145. Josh Emmett probably has a date at the top of that division, maybe. 
Um, certainly Giga Chikadze's headed that way, right? So you never know what guy coming up will be the one to tip over the apple cart. But what I would say is I think Volkanovski probably beats all of them. Like, even if Max wins, I just feel like Volkanovski is going to do enough to just earn another title shot. Now, if Max leaves the division or loses before then, well, I guess you lose it. But I guess I'm just saying, as long as these two stick around for the foreseeable future, they're going to be one and two, two and one, one A, one B, whatever you want to say, uh, over the rest of that division, which is naturally going to pull them together. I think the thing that might be a little bit more difficult um, and would challenge my argument would be the other way, which is if Max loses three times, even then I would say a fourth fight is still possible. However, the question is, would Max want to cut the weight at that point? Would he want to stay at 145 and then find another way? I think the matchmakers would probably beg him at that point to be like, dude, for just for the division's sake, we need you to move along. And by the way, if, you know he's taken a lot of damage, and I think that eventually will start to show itself, if not right now, soon thereafter. So there's a lot of ways where life could interfere, but there's a, there's a ton of ways that could bring them back together. Um, so I, I would not be the guy that's like, the third fight is the last fight between them. It could be the last fight between them. There's a, very, very, there's a number of scenarios where that happens. But there's a few where it keeps going. I, and, and there's a part of me that kind of wants to see that. Honestly, I think MMA would benefit from having guys have rivalries like this, uh, where they, you know, they, the big meat of their career was based off their rivalry with their top foe or foes, depending on how their career goes. Uh, hey, Luke, should Oliveira have final say in his next opponent, or should he, as the champ, just say when he'll be ready and take on the next number one contender? I like Connor, but I think Gaethje is getting screwed here. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I, I am I am of the personal opinion, your mileage certainly will vary on this one, um, could vary anyway. I'm happy to give the champion a degree of latitude insofar as they're not ducking an obvious, clear, and important number one contender. So the question you have to ask yourself here is, is that the case we have here? Do we have a case, a situation, a context, where a number one contender is not only there but like has a very strong case. To me, Gaethje's case is not as strong as it is for other people. But I think there are a lot of people probably watching this, listening to this, or just out there in the community more generally, who do believe that we have fit that circumstance where we have a contender that not only is the number one contender, but number one with a bullet and therefore deserves to be uh, top of the list. Um, I'm not as sympathetic to that argument as other ones. Certainly, Gaethje is a very formidable challenge and might, may even beat Oliveira. It's got nothing to do with that question. I just I'm not the guy who thinks if you lose a fight, then win a fight. You're right back in title contention for the most part. That's just personally not the way I look at it, but I grant that there's a wide range of opinion, and some, and some folks will disagree with that. That's okay. Uh, so short of that uh, scenario, I think the champion should be able to pick. The only thing is, it's just to me, it's like the Connor argument. It's like, do they may end up going that direction? Because that just maybe where the sport is and where fan appetite is. And 
we just have to live with it. But that would be a little bit of a travesty to me for Connor to go right in there and just get a title shot like that. It would be a bit of a travesty to me. Like there's other big fights you could make for him that at this point, um, you know, do you need the Connor McGregor boost in Halo? It's always better to get it. It's ne- there's never going to be an argument where it's not the, the case where it's better to have the kinds of things that he, you know, in general on balance brings to the sport and not everything, obviously. Uh, but you know, so long as that is in play, you know, he, he's going to have an argument for it, but it's just, it's just such a bankrupt argument. I mean, it's, it's like, usually it's like, okay, somebody's got a few of these achievements, which are important, but a little too modest for title shot consideration, right? Someone's doing something good, but you know, you can kind of tell they're not quite close enough, but maybe there's a dearth of other challengers or they have some kind of hold on a market internationally or they're popular in a way that another contender might not be and they kind of fudge it you know you can like oh you know they, they kind of find a way to make it work this isn't even that like he's not even remotely bordering on title contention and they're like yeah you might get it because fuck you it's sort of the answer and uh, to me it's like very off-putting but you you have to live in the real world and the world as it comes to you that also might just be the world that we get so uh should Oliveira have final say over his next opponent? The champion should generally have some say over it. But as long as there is someone who is very, very much deserving, then that say should go out the window. You have to ask yourself to what extent that applies here. What's the most conservative viewpoint you have and believe in politically, such as immigration or border crisis, border spelled wrong? Economy, healthcare, social security. What is the most conservative opinion I have? I don't know that I... Well, I guess it would depend what you would define as conservative. Um... Oh, Jesus. Um... What's the most conservative viewpoint you have? And believe in politically it used to be a lot more um i mean there was a time when i was sort of right-leaning libertarian um i remember i attended this was 20 plus years ago but i had attended god when was i still in college at this time i might have been i had attended a uh right out of college i think conference at the Cato Institute on the privatization of social security. I remember I attended that, um, which now I would not espouse that. Um, I'm trying to think certainly on, um, I mean, this, these are fairly bipartisan, so I would not say this is nakedly conservative, but I think any kind of, um, apprehension about, the nexus between private power and government power. Um, certainly, again, it would depend on like what kind of viewpoint you describe this to, but I'm not a big believer in forever wars um, at all. Quite the opposite. Um, I'm a big believer in uh, antitrust that I don't think nearly gets enough use. I think our tech oligarchs are out of control. I mean, I, I don't know if these are exactly conservative views. I know a lot of conservatives agree with them. Perhaps that's a better way to put it. I don't know that I go down to like the GOP party platform and I'm like, oh, I'll take a little bit of that, a little bit of that. 
I mean, I'm not as, you know, it would just depend on like, for example, um, I don't know, pick one, like healthcare. What's a, what's a conservative position on healthcare? Is it a Wall Street conservative position on healthcare where we are trying to find ways to enrich the largest pharmaceutical companies and or insurance providers and or whatever through various forms of new financial instruments or deregulation? No, I'm not that. Um, is it is it a kind of conservative who um, thinks a little bit differently about this and believes that, um, you know, there should be more accessible forms of childcare for working families? I mean, again, it would really depend on what you suggest is the sole province of where the, uh, the viewpoints are held and which political tribe has them. Um, I, again, I don't know that I would necessarily have anything that uh, would be directly in line with what you're talking about, but I think I have a few views that overlap with certain um, groups. Although I could be wrong. I, you know what? Let's see. What is the platform from the convention? Uh, let's see. Oh, well, this is long and I can't read this, but I think it's probably a fair assessment. What changes do you think Max and Volk need to employ in their trilogy for it to go their way? Uh, Max has got to get a little bit busier without... Uh, he's got to get busier on his own terms. He often gets busy in terms of his volume, picking up the volume in accordance with Volkanovsky already doing that. But that's not the same thing as like, I'm going to go high volume in a suppressive way. So uh, I think one of the issues would be that. But this would be, you know, I'm a, I'm very hesitant to be like, what changes do I think I need that Max? I mean, here's some, I, rather than be like, here's the changes they need to make. Here are some changes they ostensibly could make. One is that um, you don't really see it, and that there's a lot of reasons for it, is that Max isn't offensively going to go for it, neither is Volkanovsky, unless he really has to. Um, but there hasn't been a lot of grappling at all the first time around, or even the second time around. There was just a little bit on the part of, who got it? Volkanovsky got close with a couple of them, I think, something like that. Um, but I, I, I am not... I don't do a lot of thinking about this on these terms or anything like this. I am a kind of guy who um, I wait to see what the teams think of. There, there might be a few things I look for in terms of context about how the fight looks that I examine and and kind of like pre, not predict, but like you know to what extent will this be a factor in the fight itself? In this particular case, I think you're going to see a little bit more of the game plan from the second fight, which was. Max standing tall and intercepting uh, Volkanovski. I think he's going to do that, but he, I think he's going to have to find more ways to get Volkanovski to do that in quicker succession, less set up, more just kind of hurry up offense. I think that's where he makes mistakes. That's where he rushes, uh, and that's where you might be able to like take advantage of certain things. But that's a very tall order. That's very oversimplified. I'm, I, I kind of want to see what they do and then come back and talk about it after the fact and like what that says by the way the guys at Gracie Technics that are Max's team in terms of strategy and thinking about things these are some of the most some of the brightest minds in the sport quite candidly 
Was Francis's old coach his old manager? I think that's right. There are many cases now where um, Fernand Lopez will be the manager and the trainer at the gym. Uh, I have to talk about it with what's in the contracts to get a better sense of things. I don't know if specifically that was the case with Francis, but I do know at MMA Factory that is a common condition. If you could choose any promotion in any weight classes, what would be your top three cross-promotional title fights? Definitely um, McKee and Volkanovski. Or I'll say this, McKee versus the winner of Max and Volkanovski. That'd be one. I'd say um, if they end up not being in the same org, Kayla and Cyborg would be one. Um. That's another crossover fight that I really want to see. You know, I don't know if it's crossover. I eventually want to see Bouchesha in the bigger leagues, you know, fighting fighting better opposition. Um, yeah, I would love to know how good Usman Nurmagomedov is at 155. I don't think he's the best in the world yet. He might, he's, I think he, he might be the best in Bellator. I don't think he's best in the world yet. But night is young. The night is young. Um, I'm trying to think is there somebody in like there's there's big pros this is a much funner question 10 or 15 years ago when you had world victory roads send goku and you had dream and even then before that you had pride obviously but even dude even before that you used to have pancrase had shows all the time and and whatnot where you could um yeah, and I'm speaking strictly of the Japanese market, but the Japanese market, dude, it's hard to overstate how how rich and flourishing the Japanese market used to be, not just with talent, but with shows. For folks who are new to MMA, there used to be a show of like all women's MMA. I'm not making this up. It might even still be around, called Smack Girl. Jewel was a big promotion as well. Um, but the point I'm trying to make here, beyond just the Japanese, was that you could play this game because there was MMA was much more balkanized across different talent being in different promotions and there wasn't a lot of crossover you would want to see mom well he i guess he lost but you know there was a long time wanted to see Mohamed kaladov come over from ksw and do some work in ufc and whatnot there's not a ton of guys there's there's a lot of prospects i'm certainly interested in um bo nickel we'll see what happens with him as well can't can't wait to see what happens with him but you get the idea like i'm not looking for like organizational merging in the same way like i'm not super curious about how mvp would do in the UFC. I don't think his skill set is necessarily designed for us to figure out like is he the best welterweight on earth? I don't think that he is, you know. But that's not that's not what the grand appeal is of him either, right? So there's more there's more than that. Uh this person writes, congrats on episode one hundred. Volk Holloway three was announced yesterday. Sure was. Who do you think wins fight three and how? And in any chance, UNBC will go to Vegas for that card and do a live show. My husband and I were at the live show in Vegas over the summer, and it was a blast. I don't know if we will go to March 5th. There's certainly been no talk of it yet, so I guess we'll have to see. How do I think it will go? I think Volkanovski will probably win. Um, but I will be on pins and needles. I thought, I thought the first and... I thought the first... I thought the 
I think most people thought the second... Yeah, the second one was closer. I thought the first one was not that close. Close, but not like as close as people made it out, I'll say. Second one I did think was very close. But... Um, But I'll just say I think, you know, I don't know. Maybe not. I think if you've won two, it's just hard for me to mentally put myself in a place where I could imagine him winning a, or the, the, the fortunes changing. But that's not quite – and, you know, listen, I, I Max's performance against Yair, I think in many ways was not his best, but was still quite worthy of being – was quite laudable. Um, it's tough. It's really, really tough. Max is capable of beating anyone in that weight class. I worry he gets hit a little too much, either in cases where he takes too much damage for cognitive functioning long term, or um, enough to lose close rounds. So, it's 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 tough. It's tough. I'll say I'll lean Volkanovski, but it's tough. Um, I don't know when the next fight is we're traveling to in terms of like U, uh, UFC or MMA. Uh, talking about the Gamrot fight, you mentioned that knees to the body of a downed opponent is underutilized in MMA. Why do you think that's the case? Is it because throwing them in practice can cause severe injuries, broken ribs? That might be one case, certainly. Um, the other one is uh, pretty common uh, for jiu-jitsu. At least the, the scenarios are changing. So one, first of all, you're seeing more of them than you used to. Like 10 years ago, you didn't see them quite as much as you do today. In part because people find themselves in more positions today. Like working from turtle position... I think is a little bit more common across weight classes than it was 10 years ago where you're either on elbows and knees or hands and knees or one hand and a knee like that kind of somewhere in the turtle position and someone else is trying to go for wrist control from that position and wrist ride and whatever so if someone is chest to chest with a, with their opponent you're not going to see a lot of knees to the to the ribs there even though you could depending on how the, the situation goes because if you disrupt your balance there from side control, you could lose it. Whereas if you have someone who has turtled and now the other person is behind them, you're not really worried about like, you, yes, you want to control position, but you can control, especially if you have good risk control on the other side, you can still keep your base low and you know in a reasonable amount of control. You can fire one off, especially if they're along the fence line and they're preoccupied with some of the other things you can do. So partly it's a balance and then kind of mechanical issue. But to that end, because you're seeing wrist control is getting better, either near side or cross wrist, um, and that, that position uh, is becoming more common, that scenario as people like pursue a game where, you know, getting to your feet, not accepting the back, not accepting these grappling conditions, although in some ways you are accepting it in the transitory kind of way, those have become much more common, so you're seeing these more, and so that has naturally caused it to be a little bit more common. But um, in general, I think it could be opened up on even more than it already is, and I think a lot of the fighters who are good about sneaking those in, you know, they, I don't think that's why some of the sneakier fighters win, but the fighters who just, they kind of always have these little windows where a lot of other fighters are like, okay, I'm going to treat this as a control and escape situation, not an offensive one. And then you'll find one who comes along who's like, right, it is control and offensive based, but we can always find room for a little offense. Those are the ones that tend to always be really dangerous no matter the scenario.
Luke, do you think it's an advantage for Volkanovski that the rematch is happening in March, considering how much damage Max just took in his last fight in November? Love the content. Keep it up. Yeah, probably. I would argue that the amount of damage he's taken over the long term has been um, significant. And certainly, to your point about taking it, was it December with that fight? Early December, I think, right? Late November, early December? Something like that. But um, you get the idea. Yeah, like, yes, the most recent one probably doesn't help. But that style that Max has, it's good for so many things. But one thing it's not great for is it just keeps you in a range and a space where you're open to a lot of different things. Um, it puts you in a position to do a lot of great scoring. And he does a lot of great scoring. But it puts you in a position to be scored on, even sometimes passively, but it's enough. Uh, Luke, your thoughts on Sylvie von Douglas E2. I'm mispronouncing that, I am certain. And her YouTube channel. I found the two of you offer the most thoughtful and candid combat sports analysis online. Well, thank you. I have to confess, I don't know too much about this person, but I'm sure she's wonderful. Um, she offers a mind-opening view on Muay Thai. All the Muay Thai legends have entire sets of technologies and systems designed from the ground up. It's so sophisticated that it's basically magic to beginners. That's right. That's why she does these two-hour training videos with them and have them explain it and show you how hard it is to get it. And uh, seems she isn't a big fan of those five-minute breakdown videos. I assume it's just not long enough to show you all the thoughts um, put behind a masterful technique. What do you think? Well, without having seen her work, I cannot comment on that. But as you describe it, you describe someone who is quite thoughtful, who is... Um, who has a who has fallen in love with the process, right? They've fallen in love with the process of training, of improvement, of the art of it, of the self improvement component, of the 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 mental challenge of understanding what is happening and and uh, going through the entire, you know, seeing everything work in these larger systems and uh, understanding how to navigate those spaces. Yeah, like that is a much more robust experience if you can have it, if you can find someone who can delineate those kinds of magical secrets from the masters to beginners. It sounds like she is. So again, I don't I don't I don't know her, but um I don't know what you want me to say about it beyond that. I, I all I'm trying to do is uh share the parts of the sport that I love. Real doesn't I can't say it any other way, really. Uh you know, all of the, hey, you're a bitch on Twitter stuff. It pays my bills, I suppose, but it doesn't it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, Luke, have you and BC ever really been mad at each other for something that happened during morning combat? Um, maybe a little bit. Spill some behind-the-scenes tea. Well, I wouldn't get into that part. I mean, there's been a couple times, maybe. You know, but we've been doing this, what, two and a half years, three years in July... Right, three years in July, and we've maybe had one or two of these scenarios, and even those probably not. Like, not really, not really. I mean, dude, we're both experienced broadcasters at this point, and you know, like what he would have to really go outside the boundaries of what he normally does to even find himself in territory where he could say something like that, you know. Um, folks asking about the Tenshin Naskawa and Takeru Sagawa kickboxing fight. I don't, 
obviously no tension. I don't know nearly enough about his opponent to say anything about it other than every kickboxing enthusiast I know is like lathering themselves in the greatness of this fight. So I'm going to make some time for it for sure. Hi, Luke. The back end of 2020 and then 2021 saw the UFC veterans have their day in the sun with Jan and Glover becoming light heavyweight champs, Charles Oliveira becoming lightweight champ, and Jose Aldo enjoying something of a career resurgence at bantamweight. Do you see a fighter like this who might have his or her big moment in 2022? Well, Chris Cyborg is having something of a managed decline, right? She probably will be the first to tell you, well, she probably will tell you that she can just win now just as well as she has ever, but I bet that she also has probably thought about retirement. I doubt it's that far away. And I think by being in Bellator at this stage of her career, she can still get um, the kind of opponents who can give her... I mean, a lot of them are outmatched, but that's not entirely true. This is just a much more suitable scenario for her at this stage of her career. The fights are winnable. The finishes are devastating. The stage is grand for her. Um... That's something of a way to build in a, this is not exactly what you're talking about, but something of a late career, not resurgence, but frankly, shine. Um, she managed to like in engineer that, which is pretty crafty. In terms of beyond that, though, is there somebody a little bit longer in the tooth that you could point to? Like, oh, Alexi Olenek had a bit of a run a few years ago, but I think his time has probably passed. Derek Lewis is not young. But I don't know that he's going to have like a breakout moment either. Um, and those are heavyweights, obviously. The lighter weights don't have a whole lot of young guys, even the divisions you're talking Well, I guess Aldo Abansonway would be a little bit different. Um, not off the top of my head. Is there like a young, is there like a, a, a young person, excuse me, an old person who can still, you know, manage it with the young? Dominic Cruz shouldn't be completely overlooked. I mean, I think the chances of him getting a title again are probably not great, but TJ Dillashaw is 35, almost 36. Um, but in general, these are these are you know, these are death sentences. Um, for athletes. That's a little strong, but you know what I'm saying. No, not exactly. Like they're these are a pretty rare breed. Uh, in recent months, the best boxer in the UFC discussion has received a lot of attention. If there was a similar debate about the best wrestler in the UFC, which four to five names would emerge as the frontrunners? Let's assume Habib is still there, because without him, the conversation seems silly. So him, Kamaru, uh, when DC was there, he'd be in any kind of conversation. I guess John's still, John Jones is in it, even though he's inactive. But let's, people, let's, let's pick people who are active. So I'll say, uh, and Yoel, where he was there, but he's gone now too. Although, his MMA wrestling is not all that money. Um, all right, so we'll have, you know what? Let's not count Habib. He's not count. He's not there, so I guess that's not fair either. All right, Kamaru I would go with. Um, God, Cejudo, if he was there, would make it easy, but he's not there. But also, when you say best wrestler, like, you know, Peter Yan's not the best wrestler, but he might be the best defensive wrestler. You know, Jose Aldo's not the best wrestler, but he might be one of the better defensive wrestlers. Like, there's that too. I would say I'm not sure who the numbers favor. Um, 
God damn, let me look at the rankings here. Shit. Colby Covington probably would be on that list. You could put him on there. Um, I'm just going to throw out some names that I would put on. the. You know, If they're not top five, then they'd be top 25 honorable mention territory. If you go through the divisions here. Let's go through the divisions here. Who, who might be on that list? Moreno, Figueredo, no. No one really at 125 at the in the UFC that you could point to. 35. Uh, Sterling, good grappler, certainly. Davalashvili, uh, an overwhelming wrestler, right? Um, Ricky Simone, an overwhelming wrestler at 145. No one really stands out as like a top-end wrestling type. Uh, again, Justin Gaethje, pretty good wrestling defense, although not against Habib. Let's see. Makachev, you could put in that list probably. Chandler, maybe. Um, Saryukian is, I think, an honorable mention list. Bilal Muhammad somewhere on that list. Kiesa somewhere on that list. Brady is going to, I think, honorable mention, going to find his way on that list eventually, even though I realize he has out-wrestled Chiesa, but still has a lot of work to do. I, don't, I mean, it depends on how you want to define it. Um, Vittori is not the, you know, it doesn't have, like, the credentials or anything, but kind of, it, no, no I, I, I'd skip him. Um, Weidman back in the day, maybe. Rakic has got good takedowns. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a, it used to be a lot easier. Like, two years ago, you'd be like DC, Habib, Kamaru, Henry Cejudo, John Jones. You know? Simple. Fast. I mean, it wouldn't take you five seconds to do it, you know? But now it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, how do you, what do you think of how, about how Aljamain Sterling has chosen to handle the win over Peter Yawn? Seems like he has turned a lot of fans against him recently. Yeah, I guess he has. I don't really give a shit how he's handled it. Like, I don't mean that to be like either antagonistic or in any way complimentary or mean about your question. None of them. I just haven't, I honestly have not really followed it, but I can say like I've been at a couple of UFC events and like they would flash his name on like the, like a graphic, like, oh, there's a meet and greet with Aljamain, the bantamweight champ, but... Blah, 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 blah. And a lot of this is just fans acting like I think they still ask for an autograph when they see him type of thing. But he definitely got booed heavily. Noticeably. Like, he got booed. So, there's definitely a portion of the fan base that has just... They don't like the way that that fight went down. They don't like the way that it was adjudicated. They don't like the way that Aljamain has done it. They think that he was malingering, basically, to get it, you know. Um, and it's that, that, that I think more than anything has driven the perception. The perception is less about how he's kind of handled it. I mean, a little bit as time has gone on, he's kind of settled more into the idea that he is the affirming champion. Um, I'm not sure what the right thing to do is because, you know, it's a crazy scenario, but, um, fans find that, or I should say some fans find that fraudulent or otherwise, let's say premature, and so how he's acted is just a function of that, right? In other words, there was there'd be no scenario where he could really curry fan favor other than pure rejection of the title, even though he has it. And I don't think he wants to do that. So, you know, how do I, like, do I care about how he's acted? No. Um, I don't like his chances after the fact. I can tell you, like, I don't think, 
I think Jan's going to win the rematch, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I've asked this one a million fucking times. Skip that. How has becoming a father positively impacted the way you treat yourself? Jesus, I don't know that it has. <laughs> um, uh, a little bit differently, right? So whatever's wrong with you, if you're not careful about it, you know, you will just pass on one way or the other. Like, you, you know, you've probably, you guys have probably all seen like two parents that are like morbidly obese and then they got some kid who could not be of an age where um, they can, you know, have enough discretion over what they eat for there to even be any culpability of their own, right? Whatever age that might be. And they'll also be like hugely overweight. What does that tell you? It tells you that like what, you know, listen, this is not, I'm not here to pick on any one particular kind of person or one perceived issue. I'm just merely pointing out, it tells you a lot about the nature of parenting that if you have two parents who are like that, the child will also be like that. But there could also be positive context for that as the case. And I also grant that like health can be a complicated picture. You get what I'm saying. Um, so to that end, I have a responsibility to her. So that's part of the reason why, you know, trying to get in better shape is a responsibility to her because someone needs to be around to take care of her, right? And then set the example as well. So there's there's a lot of that. Um, but also just like, you know, trying to exercise more patience because if you snap on someone and you tell a kid, kid you know, um, I mean, you, you have to parent the way you have to parent, but I'm just sort of pointing out, like if I had a better patient attitude and I didn't snap on a situation where I could have avoided it here, I can find a better way to connect with a the kid. They have less memories of me lecturing them. You know, so you have a more positive foster relationship. You have better lines of communication. Your child has better memories. You know, you have a responsibility to work on your imperfections so that your relationship to them and then the people they become do not inherit your bullshit. So, you know, am I going to do a good job of that? I guess we will see. Um, but, you know, you have to affirmatively take on your weaknesses. You can't just say, it's a principle of mine to not let them pass on to my kids. You have to affirmatively take that on and like challenge it so that you don't actually give it to them. But other than that, I don't know how it would necessarily, I mean, that, that's that been the biggest thing. It's like, like, you know, if you argue with your wife, you'll sit there, you'll see them like, like look at you. You're like, shit, they watch that, you know? So those kinds of things make you clean up your act as a way for them to not um, mimic it. Or absorb it, depending on whatever the issue is. Where do you think Ronaldo is in terms of athletic ability in all of the sports you've watched? I don't know, top 1%, right? Something like that? I mean, there's different kinds of athleticism, too. There's all different kinds. You know, there's different kinds of athleticism for speed, for explosivity, for strength, for endurance, for interesting mixes of them. Like there's just body types that cater to it. There's just all different kinds. For the kind of thing he does, he's one of the, you know, not just from a skill standpoint, but you're asking athletically. Yeah, even athletically, he's pretty gifted. But I don't know that he's such an athlete. Like that's why he's so good at the game. He is an incredible athlete. 
But then I think there's also some just skills that go beyond it that aren't quite explicitly related to the athleticism you're describing. Luke, have you ever gone to BC for parenting advice? He's got boys and they're much older. I think we've talked about a couple of things along the way, but his situation's so different from mine that no. But I would if it was, you know, relevant. Monster. Unleash the ultra beast. Do you plan on having more kids? Well, thought about it. Probably, maybe. I don't know. The what my wife is is uh, in the, uh, the for anyone who's never had a kid, or even if you had a kid, you'll know this. But um, you know, as a woman gets older, past a certain point, every year begin. This may be true generally, but certainly past a certain point, once they start getting up into their late thirties, early forties, or beyond. A, it becomes harder to conceive, and then more than that, you can get um, a lot of issues related to various genetic disorders at the older the woman gets, so uh, and birthing complications and all, all kinds of stuff. So, in the interest of caution, my wife is not so interested in having in birthing another child. Might we adopt? That's certainly possible. Out of Connor. Masvidal, Nate, which boxing fight does Jake have the best chance to win in? Ooh. Probably Nate. I think Masvidal's got way too much firepower. Connor's got a little bit more pop than Nate. Um, but he fades. Uh Maybe Connor? It certainly is not Masvidal. Masvidal is the toughest one of the three by far. I would like, I would, it would be extremely difficult for me to see Jake beating Masvidal if they fought anytime soon. Uh, any of them, it would be hard for me to see him beating, but Masvidal certainly the hardest. And he's the biggest of the three, is what, like, hmm. What did you make of Sean Brady beating Craig Jones by decision recently in grappling? Yeah, I did see that. Sean Brady out here fucking people up. That's a big scalp to have in jiu-jitsu. There is a big asterisk on it. Um, two, two asterisks. One was they did no leg locks. I mean, you're taking away a huge portion of Craig Jones's game by doing that. Um, but Craig agreed to it. I mean, those are the rules he agreed to. And then according to those rules, they had a very, very, very close fight. Really, neither guy did a whole lot to the other guy. Um, I think Sean was in slightly more advantageous positions for longer. So they gave him the nod. It was not like some kind of drubbing or something, and it was special rules. Still, could I beat Craig Jones even if, you know, by judge's decision, even if there was no leg locks? No, I suspect that would still be turned into a human pretzel. So it shows that he's got considerable skills. And as it relates to MMA, you know, that's why the, that rule was taken out. Like, people aren't really going to be leg locking a whole lot in MMA, and they're definitely not going to be leg locking Sean Brady all that much. Um, so he hasn't really, I'm sure he's got some leg locking skill, but it's not a huge portion of his repertoire as it might be for Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. It's extremely relevant there. So, you know, it just should have shows for MMA grappling purposes. Sean Brady has really, really, really good grappling. Really good. He's a very talented kid.
Great question. With the tools Whitaker has polished up since his defeat, how do you see the rematch going? I still think Izzy gives him problems because I just feel like um, Izzy is in certain ways a bad matchup for him. But I do like this Whitaker dude. So you say, given Adesanya knocked Whitaker down twice in the fight, what adjustments do you think Adesanya needs to make in order to get the victory? Also, people tend to believe if Robert gets Izzy down, he would hold him there. He might. What is your opinion on how Izzy would deal with Whitaker's ground game if taken down? See, I'm, I'm not as high on the idea that if Robert takes him down, he keeps him down. Suffice to say, if Robert wants him down, I think he actually can get him down. And he can probably keep him down for a bit. But two things you have to keep in mind. One, Adesanya grappling in the Blahovich fight is not especially dynamic. But if you watch his grappling in middleweight context, it's pretty dynamic off of his back. That's true in the Gastelum fight. That's been true in... It wasn't true in the first Vittori fight, but it was true in the second Vittori fight. Um, and I think it would probably be true here. Dude, Adesanya will work from guard. He will throw up triangles. He will try to sweep you and off-balance you. He's got tricks. More to the point, even if he's not fully successful with it, Robert's not the kind of guy who's like, I got to hold top control or else. Right? Like, if I don't get top control, I can't win. He'll hold it as long as he can reasonably hold it. But if is really kind of fighting it, he'll just let it get back to the feet. Again, these are guesses. I don't, I've don't. i not talked to Robert. I don't know that. But that's what he has historically done in high-level MMA. I imagine if that's what you've been doing, you probably will continue to do that because you value that. He values not getting rolled. He likes to not work from bad positions. And he likes to keep you in bad positions, but he's not going to hold it like at an all-cost mentality. So I'm not as much of a firm believer but you don't need to do all that necessarily he might just need to get a takedown hold it for a minute maybe or two something like that and then you fight on the feet for three more minutes and it's relatively even you can win fucking fights that way that's what Blah Blahovich did that, that was Blahovich's method to victory now Adesanya did not have Adesanya got kind of smushed in the grappling department which I don't think Whitaker has the size or style to do but like dude what did Blahovich do in the stand-up with, with Izzy. He kept it pretty close. Slightly better. Not a whole lot. Not much. And then took him down and then kind of flattened him. That's it. So it didn't take this you know enormously complex game plan. It just took size and leaning into it and then patience. Um, some of the blitzing was rushed last time. I think the blitzing needs to be much more set up. But like that's the kind of problem. Like even if you're gonna set up the blitzing and whatnot, it's like, dude, Adesanya is so good at reading it and so athletic where he is leaning all the way away like that, like he did, where he was leaning way out of the way and still able to get punches off as he's completely off balance, matrixy style. Like, you know, for someone whose style is predicated on just kind of running quickly and and you know and expertly, but running into danger like that um and for somebody who's good at reading and intercepting that's just always going to be a pitch and catch kind of battle for Whitaker so there's definitely things that can be a lot different than last time and I think he'd certainly a winnable fight but I still think Adesanya is a bad matchup now this is a great question but for the wrong reasons Luke what are some great books on thinking I don't even know what that means uh, it's a nice thing this person writes. They say, this. you seem like a logical and well-read guy. I try to be and have a system, so to speak, of formulating opinions and the such. 
Well, it's a very awkwardly worded question. Let me just say this. I get this question a lot, and I saw a lot of people on Instagram and other places post their reading lists that they were like, had either done for the year or like what they were planning to read and whatnot. And listen, it's like training or anything else or exercise. Some is always going to be better than none. Okay, maybe not always, but you get the idea. Like in general, as long as you're doing something, that is going to be better than the alternative and by a significant margin. However, a lot of the books that I see people read in this space are often um, not just nonfiction, but nonfiction and specific to the point of you're losing a broader win that you could have. Let me give you an example. If someone says, I got 10 books I'm going to read, and the 10 books are like How to Be a Millionaire, you know, Lessons of Leadership, um, you know, uh, being the dad you're supposed to be and like all it's like 10 like self-help guru type books I honestly feel like you would get more out of maybe reading one or two of those books and then picking up eight other books that have nothing to do with that but are well written by a subject matter expert who did a lot of scholarly research and is passionately arguing for something in those other eight books rather than more straight up, you know, canonical, canonical, uh, self-help, right? So you're asking like, what are some great books on thinking? I don't, I don't really know what that means. Like, do you mean like books that talk about the mind body dichotomy or books that talk about the neuroscience of thinking or, I don't know what that means, but what I can tell you is if you're trying to understand rational thought and logical arguments and how to formulate opinions and create them and make them and and make them feel like you have a systematized, orderly process to thought, you should read people who do that in broader contexts. One, it will make you smarter about the rest of the world. You will learn things that you didn't know about tree frogs in the Amazon or something. But more on top of that, you'll understand what it looks like when people put arguments together. That's the way you can do this. Yes. So, like, if you want to, so for example, I've got one. Where did I put it? 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 Yeah. I've got one book on um, logic and logic games and whatnot. So, like, if you want to see, here are some of my notes. This is. Um, this is not easy to learn, let me assure you. So, here. <laughs> Symbolic logic is extremely advanced and difficult, and um, I don't really recommend it. This is, I can't remember how much. I, like, here, or some of my notes qualifiers and free variables and here yeah shit like this this is very basic symbolic logic but you get the idea and then it goes into you know all kinds of trees and other forms of phenomenology and you get the idea anyway I've got one of these. I got a million other books on other f points of philosophy, whether it's ethics, whether it's epistemology, whether it's you name it. Because 
I only need a little bit of understanding. I mean, you need more than that, depending on what your line of work is. But for the, for the people like you and me, I need a little bit of an understanding about how arguments are constructed and what counts as valid versus invalid, sound versus unsound. I want a roadmap there. But then I just want to see how it practically applies in the real world. And I'd like to learn things. You become well-rounded. You become more engaged. You become just more alert. You become more cognitively... Uh, uh, assisted because you've seen all different types of minds work through all different kinds of problems in this wide array of settings rather than, hey, what are the 10 principles of leadership? Give me a couple of books on leadership and then give me a bunch on maybe the history of some leaders that did some certain things, that, but it's a biography about the leader like Abraham Lincoln or something. Give me one on, you know, whatever. That's, that's, that is I could not recommend something more strongly. I'm reading a book now. Here. Now, I just started this this week. But I'm reading one now. Maladies of Empire. So basically, this is a book on how a lot of um, modern advances in in medicine are a function of frankly unethical but otherwise just certain horrors of empire and war let me give you an example in the modern age i'm not i'm not an expert on the history of prosthetics but it is my understanding that part of the reason they took a quantum leap was that there must have been some research that was happening at the time of 9-11 and ultimately the iraq invasion and everything that happened there but that the iraq war because you had veterans coming home blown the fuck up, this put this like was a catalyst for um, rapid advancement in that industry. And so there was like prosthetics now are much, much, much better than they were for vets coming home from Vietnam. Even, you know, there was obviously less of them, significantly so, but from the first Gulf War or other places. Modern prosthetics have been rapidly advanced through science and technology and laboratory work and everything else. But that's kind of a horrible thing to think about. Like, in fact, like they'll do plastic surgery in the military and they'll do some of the starting training, um, you know, on burn victims and shit like that, you know. So the point being is that these horrible, large-scale mass death and whatever events ultimately have this bizarre yet massively important engine for the development of um, modern medicine. It's just a reality. That's what this book is about, Maladies of Empire. Uh, isn't that crazy? It's, it's fucking wild. I'll learn more from this than I will and reading this kind of thing and having this kind of instinct than I will like 12 secrets to to saving you know like you only well, i don't know why i'm sweating too all of a sudden you only need a couple of them bro you only need a couple of them all right with that in mind let's go to some of the paid questions sweating like a you know what i think it's this fucking caffeine all right let's go Pena called Rousey a can in the lead up to her fight with Amanda, which had me think about how do you think a fight would have went between the two? I mean, Pena got armbarred by Shevchenko. Maybe Rousey would have had her number. The thing about Rousey is she would have beaten fighters that may have been more well-rounded than her, like before her, and if she had kept going, probably would have been the case. 
but she's going to beat ones that have like, you know, just the right kind of weaknesses too, right? No question. Just want to say nice work on a hundred episodes. Thanks, bro. Luke, how did you retain your hypertrophy gains while cross training BJJ and striking? I didn't. I got weak. I got weak. I actually threw my back out during jujitsu. Like there's, there, this was like years and years ago. There used there, it, but there's a lot better methods of training in jujitsu these days. Is one thing I'll say. And there used to be this belief that like if you want to get in shape, do jujitsu, and then if you want to get in really good shape, do even more jujitsu. And I found out that was really bad for me. That was not what I needed. What I needed to get better jujitsu was to do a lot of it, and then complement it with actual strength and conditioning. And I learned that late, 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 too late, in fact. Um, so I didn't. And some people can do that. I couldn't do that. I could not do just jujitsu and do that. I could not do that. Will boxers and MMA fighters ever stop calling each other out? No. All right. Over under three and a half. Max versus Volk. You mean like the length it goes? I'll go over. Two and a half. Fighters that will be ranked pound for pound number one. I don't know what the fuck you're asking. Four and a half. Fighter Instagram accounts BC follows just to gawk over. I'll take the over on that. 175K MK subs by 2022. I'll say I'll take the over, although that's quite aggressive. Uh, three and a half. BC horrible haircuts in 2022. <laughs> I'll take the over. How did you become an MMA fan? Had a friend in uh, 95 or 96 when I, my parents were divorced and I would stay in, uh, spend the summers with my dad. He had a family friend who was a big time uh, martial arts enthusiast. And I uh, was like, hey, you got to see this Brazilian guy beating the fuck out of people. And sure enough, we did. And I uh, went from there. In my opinion, the 10-point must system is too simplistic for MMA. Battle uses an 11 points where 11 points are shared from three categories. Five for damage. Three for control and three for aggression. Could this work in MMA? No, because that would run into the rules where the rules don't value things along those lines. So no. Opinion on TRT. Do you use it? I wish. I fucking wish. Guys, I, mean, I have really nothing to hide on this. One, I don't have the physique that would even show you that I do TRT, number one. And when I do, I'm going to tell you about it. Like, tr be <laughs> believe me when I tell you, I'm going to tell you about it. With the increase of foreign powers infiltrating soccer clubs for political soft power and sports washing, will this trend cascade down to MMA fighters? See, it already kind of has on the Kadyrov side, but not enough. Oh, and you wrote, yeah, outside of Kadyrov in Chechnya. Weren't the, like the Azatar as Azai brothers kind of involved with the king of Morocco or something like that too? I, I can't quite recall. You know, there might be individual circumstances where there is a little bit of this, but in general, I don't think it'll be a big problem. What do you make of the new UFC pay-per-view price? Yeah, 75 bucks. I mean, will it mean higher quality and more stacked pay-per-view cards? No. It'll just mean... I mean, look, they've been stacking their cards more a little bit anyway with the way they've been breaking up the system between fight nights and pay-per-views more than they had normally. But beyond that, No. What do I make of it? <laughs> you know.
Do you have any wrecks? I'm going to the uh, Mohegan Sun. Um, recommendations. Jesus. Yeah, don't. Beyond that, um, room service ain't bad there. Um, I mean, there's some shopping that's there. Just not the restaurants or I mean, it's it's not it's not that money. It's not that money. Luke, how do you reconcile between your enjoyment of MMA and the significant life-altering brain trauma individuals sustain? Um, I'm not nearly as like bothered by that as a trade-off. I think there's just a lot of jobs where there's like really awful negative physical trade-offs. And the brain trauma is significant, but it's why I'm such a big proponent for money. Um, not that that by itself would solve the problem, but I think it would it would undo the moral imbalance that currently exists. Can you introduce BC as Brian Campbell, a.k.a. Jacques Menhoff, a.k.a. the King of Connecticut next MK? Could I do that? I could do that. I'm not gonna. Who's your favorite prospect and why is it Jerron Ennis? It is Jerron Ennis, and it's because he's better than everybody else. Are you taking internship applications? No, but you could email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com, and if your situation's really special, I'll consider it, but in general, no. MMA has taught us a combo of the arts is best, but the idea that boxing is superior is laughable because they need to rules to protect them versus MMA fighters. Why is this? How can boxing fans feel superior to MMA. Why has MMA taught you that the combo of the arts is the best? Since wh where does that come into play? I don't like wh what is the rule there? Like, oh, because if there were more rules, then the person with the open rule set mastery would do better. Yes. But what a, I don't know what the inclination is to like dunk on boxing. Like, wh why do we feel the need to do that? Number one, number two, MMA has taught us a combo of the arts is best. Taught who that? But the idea that boxing is superior is laughable because they need rules to protect them versus MMA fighters. Boxing didn't develop rules out of MMA concerns. They developed rules out of nineteenth-century expectations for hand-to-hand -hand fist fighting. It is a more limited rule set, that's true, and it probably doesn't have as much wide variable applic applicability as MMA, that's true, but it's a perfectly reasonable fighting art. It's a tremendously entertaining one, and it's an extremely difficult one to conquer. It should be worthy of your respect, not, not your condemnation. Can you elaborate on your Matrix 4 review from Morning Combat? The basic idea was this. If you liked them being subversive the whole way through about making another Matrix movie, then that was great. And I don't know if there was really any way to do a traditional Matrix sequel to the trilogy. I don't, I don't know how you would have even done that. You shouldn't have done that. But you shouldn't have made this movie either, which is like, oh, let's wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we're making a fourth Matrix movie, and wink, wink, nudge, nudge about what studios and audiences want the whole time. I thought it was fucking stupid. It's like it, you made a movie to troll your own audience. Like what a fucking and then the end. It's like Trinity and this guy. The, they're they're together now again for what reason? Like why are we here? Like why are why are we here? Is the reason I'm trying to. We're not here for any good reason. There's no. 
it's all silly. It's like you're trolling your audience in the best artistic sense and you're wasting my time in every other one. The Duke Ellington of Sharts may be the funniest thing I've heard uh, anyone uh, in a while on MK. Thank you for that. Um, also, my Marine father agreed with your take on all the different words for things. Dudes, here's what BC just doesn't understand about this. When you show up to boot camp and they process you through, they have a conversation with you. And it is not ambiguous. They look you dead in your face and they go, this is no longer a wall. This is a bulkhead. Say it, bulkhead. And you say it. They go, they pick up a sneaker. Right? They go, this is not a shoe. This is not a sneaker. This is a go faster. Say it. Go faster. And you do the whole... And they go through everything. It's not left or right uh, or, or front or back. It's, it's fucking... It's port and starboard and, and bow and aft and all that shit. It's the whole... And it goes through everything. They're not glasses. They're BCGs. You know, like whatever. Whatever they've renamed. And you don't have a choice with that. That's just how it goes. So BC being like, oh, you're just... You know, I'm playing games or I'm doing like inside jokes. Dude, when you show up... It's not left, it's port. You don't say left. Best experience watching a metal band live. Um, been to much better rap concerts in that sense. Um, saw Slipknot in 99, no, 2000. Uh, they were really good. They were on a side stage at a festival I went to. They fucking... I don't, I'm not even a big Slipknot guy, but they were good. They were good. Um, honestly, that Cannibal Corp show I saw in Philly, dude. You're, you're going to laugh. I've seen a bunch of these doom metal bands that my wife likes. You know, I've seen Opeth seven or eight times. They're fine. Um, but dude, that Cannibal Corp show was... I mean, it was... It was unbelievable. Uh, what kind of core train do you do? Do you strike me as a Zercher carry? Uh, Zercher carries all day, baby. All day. Love those. Why Why do people say because Leon Edwards got rocked in a fight with Nate Diaz in which he dominated and won, he is not worthy of a title challenge? Because there are people are stupid. That's a stupid opinion. And people have stupid opinions. Someone's asking about Sylvie Von Douglas. Do you rate Ilya Topuria and Song Yudong as a title challenger in the future? Yes, both of them. 100%. That's it. Episode 100 in the books. Um, all right. Thumbs up on the video. Uh, MK tomorrow on the MK channel. Check it out. I'm sure it'll be dumb, but we'll do something fun. And uh, we're in studio next week, provided I don't have COVID. So we'll see how that goes. I'm fine. Um, all right. Thank you guys so much for watching. I appreciate you. Uh, let's keep it rocking in the new world. And uh, yeah, until next time, stay frosty.